0: Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and it is Sunday, February 12th in the year 2023. And I hope wherever you are around Australia and indeed around the world, you are having a wonderful, wonderful day. Of course, this is the end of the first sitting week of the Australian Parliament for the year 2023. And what a week it's been. If you missed our episode about the resignation from the Greens of Senator Lydia Thorpe. Please do check that out, episode 121. Van and I break down what all that means, what that's all about, what some of the terminology actually means and implies, and the impact it may have on democracy. I'm not going to recap it all here. Needless to say, it has been a remarkably popular Uh, episode in terms of downloads, because we think there's a lot to unpack in all of that. But since Wednesday, of course, lots has happened. And I'm going to start where Insiders finished. In case you don't know, Insiders is, of course, the ABC's flagship political discussion program and it airs on Sunday mornings at 9am. This week's guest was Treasurer Jim Chalmers. But where the program ends is always with a final thought from the panelists, And as is often the case, there was a panellist from the Australian Financial Review, or as I like to call it, the boss's pamphlet. The AFR, of course, is a neoliberal pro-corporate newspaper, if you want to use the term, that regularly rails against the Labour Party, rails against the Labour movement, and rails against the idea of workers' rights. Phil Currie, who is the political editor of the AFR, often appears on Insider's as he did today. His final thought for the day was to bring up an ad by the Minerals Council, an ad I've not seen, an ad most Australians will not have seen, because as I understand it, the ad was specifically targeted to media that might be consumed by people in Parliament during the sitting week. And, of course, it was designed, as Phil Curry said, to be a quote-unquote shot across the bows of the Labor government, a Labor government which under Tony Burke and Anthony Albanese has already indicated there will be further workplace relations reforms, further empowerment of workers during the course of 2023, including in the area of labour hire, including in the area of the gig economy and platform-based work. These are areas where the Minerals Council does not want to see reform, it does not want to see reform to labour hire. It does not want to see reform to casual employment. Why, you might ask, would the mining industry not want to see such reforms? Well, because the mining industry is one of the largest beneficiaries of ripping off workers through differential wage arrangements. And what do I mean by that? I mean that In some parts of the mining industry, you can have workers doing the exact same work with the same skills and qualifications to the same level of productivity on very, very different wages, depending on the mechanism by which they are engaged. So, in the mining industry, you can have someone engaged to a labour hire company, often a company that's owned by the mining company itself, or at least has a significant share in being employed not on the collective agreement struck by the employees of the mining company, but on an agreement that only applies to labour hire workers on lower wages, worse conditions, and, of course, providing more profit to the company. Now, for that, of course, the labour hire company takes a clip of the payments that should have gone to the worker. This is... An absolute rip-off. There's no question about this. This exists in the mining industry and in some other industries. And in some jurisdictions, Victoria among them, there has been attempts to licence labour hire companies. I believe Queensland has tried to do the same. Now, Victoria, as I understand it, over a 1,000 dodgy labour hire companies have been purged from our economy, from our society. Now the world has not caved in on itself in Victoria by removing these dodgy, dodgy bosses. Instead, Victoria still has an incredibly strong economy and some of the best standards of living anywhere in the world. For Phil Curry to suggest that the Minerals Council has a valid uh, campaign on its hands to campaign against working people having the right to be paid what has been properly, lawfully and in good faith negotiated as the standard salary and conditions for a worksite is disgraceful. For him to use the public broadcaster to promote an ad by the mining lobby group, which again, most people will not have seen because it was targeted specifically at politicians, as I understand it, is further disgraceful. You know, I grow tired of seeing people from the boss's pamphlet on Insiders, but even more so, I grow incredibly frustrated and angry at seeing people from the boss's pamphlet promote the boss's lines on insiders on the public broadcaster. Now, there's no there's no doubt that in a democracy, the Minerals Council has the right to campaign on behalf of the major multi-billion dollar, multinational mining corporations that pour huge amounts of money into it. And I know this from the various roles that I've had over the course of my working life, that that is an organisation that has access to significantly more funds than any peak worker organisation. But at the same time, we should expect that the public broadcaster will curb the level of ideological propaganda that the bosses are allowed to propagate on its airwaves. Now, of course, there's something We can all do about this, and I don't mean switching off the ABC, and I don't mean boycotting insiders. I mean, of course, joining your union, because fundamentally the scourge of bad bosses in labour hire and casualisation and the erosion of workers' rights through sham contracting, using technology such as Uber and many of the platforms is only going to be addressed if labour has a strong enough mandate and there is a strong campaign by workers to make that happen. We know the bosses are going to fight against it. So you need to join your union. It's not just in the mining industry. This is happening in the health sector. This is happening in community services. This is happening right across the economy in transport, delivery, All across the economy, we're seeing this occur. You can go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W. You can join your union right now because let me tell you, Phil Curry, to some degree is right. Ideologically, of course, he has the wrong end of the stick more often than not. Other comments he made today on Insiders include the idea that somehow or another the poorest Australians uh, would be responsible for increasing inflation at a time when there is record profits being drawn uh, out of the economy. Uh, if we gave if we increased uh, job seeker somehow or another, that would be fuel for the inflation fire, completely ignoring the supply side and profiteering problems that exist. So join your union because fundamentally that's how we're going to improve things in the workplace, and ensure that the Labor government has the mandate to hold off these campaigns that are coming. They are coming from the big bosses and the corporations and the bosses' pamphlets, whether it's the AFR or the Murdoch Media or wherever it may be from. Of course, there was a lot discussed on Insiders, and I want to talk about another issue that occurred during the week that Insiders did touch on as well, and that is the resignation of Alan Tudge. Now, I've spoken about Alan Tudge numerous times, both on this show and, of course, on the week on Wednesday. Alan Tudge, former minister under the Morrison government who had responsibility for the robo-debt scandal and, of course, at one point was an education minister who suggested that schools needed to teach more about family values while at the same time conducting an affair with a member of his own staff, an affair which, by her reports, included some elements of physical abuse. Now, this is not a man who, quite frankly, should be in our Parliament, and he has now, of course, retired. But the notion, the manner of his retirement speech is what I want to draw to people's attention. Alan Tudge has essentially accused the Australian people of bullying him and his family out of the public debate. Now, this is simply not the case. Alan Tudge Tudge threatened to lock up members of the Australian community, some of which are among our most vulnerable members of our community, for, what he called, fraud. Now this of course was in relation to He He's since said that his comments were taken out of context. However, that has only emerged since the Royal Commission. Many, many years those comments stood on the record and he did not bother to try and correct them. So one must wonder whether Alan Tudge has finally simply felt the heat that comes from his own actions. Of course, no one likes the idea that any children feel unsafe or uncomfortable because of the actions of their parents. But let's be very clear, it's the actions of Alan Tudge that has impacted the family of Alan Tudge, not the public discussion about his actions. Now, I'm sure there are some people online who have gone too far. There often is. And you don't need to tell me or my family that there are trolls on the internet. We're aware of that. We live with it every day. Alan's thin skin is probably more of a problem, though, given that he has consistently refused to accept that there should be consequences to his actions. He shouldn't have run in the 2022 election. There was a 10% swing against him. The great Mary Doyle, former colleague of mine, who ran in the seat of Aston for Labor, did an amazing job in the face of very challenging odds and reduced it to a marginal seat. Now, Insiders discussed Alan Tudge and his resignation in the context of a challenge for Peter Dutton. And, of course, it is a challenge for Peter Dutton because he is not a Menzian liberal. And what the people of Aston showed at the last election is that a morally bankrupt, hypocritical, neoconservative economic extremist does not embrace the values of Menzies and that they want someone a little more like themselves. This, of course, is a part of Melbourne that there is a high level of mortgage stress There are significant cost of living pressures and we'll talk about the cost of living pressures and where they're coming from shortly. But Peter Dutton and his just say no to everything approach that he demonstrated once again in the parliament, saying no to the rebuilding Australia fund, saying no to supporting Australian manufacturing, saying no to having a safeguard mechanism on climate emissions is not the sort of person, a hard-right former copper from Queensland, the sort of person that is going to go over well in the suburbs of Melbourne. Keeping in mind that the state overlap that occurred in November in that federal seat showed clear swings to Labor. So who knows what will happen in the by-election, when it will be called, and who the candidates will be. But I can tell you this. Good riddance to Alan Tudge. Alan Tudge needs to have a good hard look at himself and a good hard look at his own actions. And hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to reconcile his relationship with his children. And can I just suggest that the first step in reconciliation with anyone else is often to look at your own actions, what you've done and how that's had an impact on the people you claim to care about. And, of course, we wish Alan Tudge's family all the very best and hope that they are able to move on beyond his political life and political career. Now, as I said, the guest on Insiders Today was Jim Chalmers, the Treasurer of Australia. And Jim Chalmers made a very good point Inflation is increasingly getting under control. Costs are starting to come down. The government, the Labor government, led by Anthony Albanese, put in place an electricity price cap at the end of last year. Now, that electricity price cap is starting to have an effect. It has essentially halved the increase in electricity prices that were expected over the course of the forward estimates. Now, that is a huge step in the right direction. One of the fundamental problems, and it's difficult for Chalmers as treasurer to talk about openly because of the conventions that exist around government being separate from the RBA and the RBA being separate from government. I am not bound by such conventions because I'm not a member of government or the RBA. So I will I will say this. What became apparent to me in the interview was that Jim Chalmers was not prepared to give a full-throated endorsement of the RBA's approach of increasing interest rates in order to try and control inflation. And the reason is very clear and very, very simple. Inflation is being driven by supply chain constraints, and profiteering. Energy companies, not just in this country, but around the world, have taken record profits. They have engaged in share buybacks. They are pumping money into the pockets of very, very wealthy people and their executives. The supply chain constraints are because of a decade of underinvestment in skills, a decade of underinvestment in local manufacturing, a decade of underinvestment in renewable energy, not just generation but transmission and storage that occurred under the Morrison government. We're seeing in the US where the Biden administration is actually putting money into those things, inflation is coming down. So The discussion on Insiders and the discussion from the RBA about the government spending less in order to bring inflation under control is a 1920s solution to a problem that's occurring in the 2020s. Raising interest rates to reduce demand is a 1980s solution to a 2020s problem. What is happening in our economy is so different to what these ivory tower RBA economists and neoliberal spivs are trying to portray. What's happening in our economy is that everyday working people who have large mortgages, who who are paying high rents, are paying for the high living of executives and corporations. It is an outrageous, an outrageous imbalance in our economy. Now, Chalmers and Albanese are trying desperately to use the levers of government to address this problem. They are making sure that the money they put into the economy through government investment and spending is not just targeted, but is Increasing our supply is increasing our productivity. Things like early childhood education, things like improving our manufacturing, strengthening our energy grid, bringing down electricity prices, bringing down the price of medications, targeted cost relief. Is there more they can do? They've talked about doing more in the budget. We'll see that very soon, I'm sure but they are limited in what they can do about the interest rate side. And as long as the RBA continues to subscribe to this outdated 1980s model where every time, every time a company records a record profit, we're essentially beating working people in order to help reduce the cost of that profit to the broader economy. That is an unsustainable economic model. Quite frankly, the solutions here are for more government investment in things that will improve our supply situation, whether that be training, skills, more apprenticeships, whether that be reducing the cost of early childhood education, People might remember, and we've talked about this on the show before, that during the pandemic, we had deflation when child care and early childhood education was made free. We had deflation. There are things government can do. Chalmers and Albanese are trying to do them. But the RBA is working in the opposite direction. This is not a situation where there are, wage increases, outstripping productivity. Australian workers are the 14th most productive workers in the world, above countries like Japan, New Zealand. These are countries that traditionally people go, these are highly productive countries. The issue in our productivity problems stems from lazy capital. And when you're able to skim mega profits – due to a war in Ukraine, high demand for our resources, and the cover of inflation to jack up prices beyond what they should be without having increased wages, of course we have lazy capital. Of course we do. Capital has to be more efficient in this country. It's not the workers that need to pay the cost of inflation. It's corporations that need to pay for the cost of inflation. Now, I'd like to see some adjustments to our tax system. It's what Menzies did. It's what was done in the UK as well. As long as the RBA continues to increase interest rates, we are on a pathway to higher unemployment and a weaker economy with lower living standards. That's simply a reality. Now, hopefully, hopefully, we'll start to see some moderation. Quite frankly, I'm not sure that the discussion on insiders gives people any great hope that that moderation is just around the corner. But it does also speak to the need for governments not just to change policy direction because let's face it the labor government has changed policy direction it has done things on workers rights remember join your union support that movement to improve workers rights it's also doing things next just this week coming up on housing it's doing things to improve manufacturing local manufacturing it's doing things to improve more apprenticeship numbers on childcare and early childhood education. It's doing those things. But there are institutions of government, the RBA being perhaps the most prominent, that are required for us to be able to govern ourselves as a nation. These instruments of government actually impact the ability of a government to deliver its agenda. And it will be increasingly difficult for the Albanese Labor government and Jim Chalmers and the whole caucus and cabinet to deliver the Labor agenda of higher wages, higher living standards, more productivity, more engagement, more civil society. If the machinery of government, the boards of the RBA, the boards of government corporations, the Boards of Statutory Authorities continue to be dominated by an ideological class that does not believe working people should have a say or an engagement in these decisions. The Board of the RBA is stacked, stacked with the representatives of big business. The Board of Australia Post still has numerous Liberal Party officials and former Liberal Party officials on it. Now, Katie Gallagher has announced a review of the board appointment process, which is a really good step in the right direction. But I admire Jim Chalmers' restraint on Insiders today because fundamentally, when the machinery of government, when the institutions that are needed to implement your agenda are so stacked against you, it must be very tempting to come out swinging against them. He didn't do that. Instead, he's working within the constraints that he has and they're putting in place a process to make that change happen. We need to be very mindful that there will be pushback. We can expect the AFR, the boss's pamphlet and the Murdoch media to attack changes at the RBA, to attack changes in the various statutory authorities and government corporations that exist because they do not want to have a Labor agenda implemented. And let's face it, the longer a Labor government is in power and the machinery of its government is working against it, the less likely it is that a Labour government will be able to be re-elected. Already, Peter Dutton is sharpening his attack lines, talking about the cost of everything going up under Labour. The cost of everything was going up under the Liberals. Labour is trying to fix the mess. But of course, the machinery, the machinery craves, craves the tightened grip of its former liberal masters and despises despises the idea that Labor will actually make real, substantive, structural change to the way our nation functions. Now, next week we'll see in Parliament numerous discussions about the future of housing, In this country, we hope to see a real meaningful increase in social housing. Insiders didn't even discuss this. This didn't even come up on Insiders. But this is my point. It goes to the point that I just raised. Labor is about to embark on the largest investment in social housing at a Commonwealth level in generations. Now, some will say it's not enough. Some will say it needs more changes to make it even better and stronger. Changes that make things better and stronger, of course, we're in favour of, but it wasn't even discussed on Insiders. Instead, of course, the focus was all about undermining the Albanese Labor government. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll see this week some real positive change. Now, I do want to give a shout-out, of course, to the fact that Van I will be in Adelaide, not this week coming, but the week after, from the 22nd of February through to the 15th of March, we will do four Week on Wednesday live episodes at the Yurt, the Immigration Museum in Adelaide, as part of the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Really looking forward to it. I was actually in Adelaide last week on for something else entirely. And I can tell you already, we're starting to feel the buzz. We're starting to feel the hype. It's going to be a great Great four weeks. Of course, we'll also be there for the launch of the Voice Yes campaign. So crucial that we get this constitutional change, this recognition uh, and this consultation process established. You can get tickets online to come and see Van and I in the yurt. There is differential pricing depending on your price point. Look, we're not policing that. Just come along. We really look forward to it. And, of course, a shout-out to all of our buymeacoffee.com week on Wednesday, uh, supporters who have helped support the show over the last two-plus years, nearly three years. Um, It's been fantastic. Uh, We, of course, continue to grow, and we love each and every one of you. Don't forget to join Van and I for the week on Wednesday. We're going to try and be in different places at the same time doing the recording this week. Hopefully the tech holds up. So until then, remember to be kind to yourself and each other and to vote yes for The Voice.